Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello and welcome to Finsider Radio. I am MC Money, joined here by certain the creepy soccer dad and Houts Stradamus, no longer Rosenhouse because obviously the Dolphins did not select Josh Rosen in the 2018 NFL Draft, and it has been one hell of a week with the Miami Dolphins dating back to last Thursday, going into Friday, going to Saturday with the NFL Draft. The Dolphins making several moves throughout the draft, and we're going to dive into every draft pick. We're going to talk very briefly about the undrafted free agents. We're going to touch on the Yahoo series that spent an entire year with the Miami Dolphins scouting department. Really, really good stuff in there. We're going to touch on that. And then we're going to talk about finally Akeem Spence and Bryce Petty. Although we're probably only going to spend about 30 seconds on Bryce Petty because at the end of the day, he's the fourth quarterback on the roster right now and probably nothing more than a camp arm. But let's go right back to last Thursday, Houts and certain. First of all, Baker Mayfield, the number one pick in the draft. Um, We all loved Baker Mayfield. The Browns did a hell of a job keeping it quiet. Kudos to them. No one really knew who it was going to be uh, until the pick was actually announced. Rumors, tons of rumors leading up to the actual draft said it was Sam Darnold. Then they reverted to Josh Allen. Then they moved to possibly, oh, maybe they're considering Saquon Barkley or Bradley Chubb at number one. And then as we were leading up to the final few days, Baker Mayfield's name came up and no one really thought it was going to happen until Roger Goodell came up to the podium and said the Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield's quarterback, Oklahoma. Now in the hours leading up to the draft, it leaked that that was in fact their pick, but still nobody knew for sure because ESPN had reported it, Josina Anderson, but then Ian Rappaport of the NFL network came out several uh, hours later and said, no, he's talked to GM's who know John Dorsey very well, of course, the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And those GMs said that John Dorsey would not pick Baker Mayfield. So you had ESPN on one hand saying it was going to be Baker, NFL Network saying it was not going to be Baker Mayfield. That added to the suspense until we finally got a resolution there. In a way, Sutton and Houts, I'm glad that Baker Mayfield went to the Browns because the Jets, as we have found out since, it was not a smokescreen that they were going to pick Baker Mayfield. They were going to take him at number three. So one, he's out of our division. Two, he's not going to the Jets. Three, he's going to the Browns. But more importantly, let's say something crazy happened where the Jets decided, oh, at the last minute, they didn't want Baker Mayfield. And then he starts sliding down the boards a little bit and then maybe only gets picked up two or three slots before the Dolphins. Then it adds more heartbreak to it. It's almost like I compare it to losing a very close game by three points or with the final kick field goal to end the game and the Dolphins lose compared to a blowout. You feel you don't feel good about a blowout, but you're not as pissed off about a blowout than you are a really close game. And then as the draft went on, the surprise there with Denzel Ward being picked at number four instead of Bradley Chubb, Sam Darnold going to the Jets, Bradley Chubb going to the Broncos, Roquan Smith, our boy, going to the Bears. And then the Dolphins finally landing on Minka Fitzpatrick, who we'll touch on in just a few minutes. But your top 10 thoughts, Sutton and Houts, as you watch the draft unfold leading up to the Miami Dolphins pick. Yeah, Baker was the number one quarterback for all three of us, I believe. So, you know, at the end of the day, 
it, the, like you said, the suspense was there, but it wasn't that surprising of a move. I was fairly happy that Buffalo invested in Josh Allen. Maybe I'll eat those words one of these days, but I didn't think he was a great prospect and hopefully I'm right on, on all accounts there. Sam Darnold. I know we, we had talked to, um, Dan Orlovsky on a show a couple months ago and Sam Darnold was one of his favorites. But when I saw him play against Ohio State, I I just had a bad feeling about his projection to the NFL. Whether that's fair or not, I don't think so. But just his uh, his lack of appreciating the the football, turn, turning over the football too many times, trying to do too much, and that Ohio State defense kind of gobbled him up. So I, I didn't like how he faced that Ohio State defense. So to have those two guys go to the Jets and Bills, I was I'm okay in that position. Like I said, maybe I'll eat those words, but I was I was happy that the Jets and Bills got those respective quarterbacks. Yeah, and I completely agree with Canada on Cleveland taking Baker Mayfield. He was the best quarterback in this draft by all of our accounts, and to see him go number one and not have to sit through the agony of him falling, perhaps maybe going to the Jets or, or Buffalo. I mean, it was great, and you kind of. You kind of enjoyed seeing him. I, I don't want to say it's kind of like being a proud parent, but we all were pretty high on Baker Mayfield and to see him go number one overall to be the best player drafted, the highest player drafted. I mean, that was that was huge. And as someone came up on Twitter, they, they said, now we finally get to see Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry. Maybe it's not what we kind of expected or I'd hope, but now we get to see him and Jarvis in Cleveland. And, and that Browns team is going to be pretty, pretty damn fun to watch. Uh, another guy that kind of, relieved me a little bit was when I saw that's not poor choice of words, but Mike McGlinchey going to San Francisco. I mean, I know Albright came on and told us that he was an option for the Dolphins at 11 and we all kind of just, I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't sleep that night. So to see him go before our pick and to not have to worry about him possibly being in the Dolphins pick at 11 was, was great. But overall, Sam Darnold, not a huge fan, Josh Allen, not a huge fan. So I'm not quite sure that uh, the Dolphins have too much to be concerned about. And then when you got a guy like Roquan Smith, I know there are rumors that the Dolphins could have traded up for him. Whether or not that's true uh, is anyone's guess. But the Dolphins got Mika Fitzpatrick, who I think many of us believe were probably the best player that the Dolphins could get in this draft to see a top five or, or even top five talent fall to the Dolphins at 11. Uh, that was huge. And I know we're all going to touch on that a bit more. But the NFL draft, it came and went so fast. And uh, it was here and gone before we could even enjoy it. So I'm ready for the season to start. And let's talk about Minka. We were all waiting for the NFL draft to come. Then as the NFL draft approached, we all couldn't wait for it to be over just because of all the smoke that appeared over the fat past few days leading up to it. And then now that the NFL draft is over, like, all right, what do we do now? So the first round couldn't have worked out any better for the Miami Dolphins. Tons of smoke about them wanting Josh Rosen leading up to the draft. We still don't know that's true. I've been told, and I said this on our show, that I was uh, told by people that I trust that Adam Gase was absolutely in love with Josh Rosen. And I think had Josh Rosen been there at 11, there would be some debate in that war room as to whether or not they should go there. And I think if Adam Gase had ultimately gotten his way, Josh Rosen would be a Miami Dolphin if he was there at 11. Now, some might say, and I know I heard this argument on Twitter afterwards, when I said uh, the Dolphins still wanted to draft Josh Rosen, he just wasn't there for them. And some people said, well, all they had to do was move up one spot. But here's the thing about that, and I don't know why people aren't understanding this, but the Raiders were picking at number 10, and their first target, by all accounts, was Mike McGlinchey of Notre Dame, who Ben Albright dropped on our show last week that the Dolphins were very interested in him. So the 49ers pick him at number nine. The Raiders are picking at number 10, which ironically was because of the coin flip at the NFL Combine. They had the same exact tiebreakers going on there. The 49ers won the coin toss. They get the guy the Raiders wanted. So the Raiders then worked on you know, getting their next guy and ultimately ended up being Colton Miller of UCLA Offensive Tackle. We had a second-round grade on him. I think that was a terrible pick by the Raiders. But if they were purely reaching for offensive tackle there – and they absolutely wanted Colton Miller or an offensive tackle and nothing else because obviously there were plenty of good players still on the board there. But why would you not take the Cardinals' compensation, right, from moving down from 10 to 15 because you know that that trade or that, that player is still going to be on the board? So Colton Miller is not getting drafted at 
11. He's not getting drafted at 12. He's not getting drafted at 13. He's not getting drafted at 14. He's not getting drafted at 15. Hell, he's probably not getting drafted in the top 20. Okay? So the Raiders are saying, why would we take less compensation to move down one spot rather than taking the Cardinals, who ended up trading its number 15 pick, right, swapping first, which is a given, but then they also get in their third-round pick and fifth-round pick. If the Miami Dolphins had to move up from 11 to 10 to get Josh Rosen, they'd probably only give up a fifth-round pick. So when people say, oh, all the Dolphins had to do was move up one spot, that is not accurate because the Raiders got more out of the deal with the Cardinals that dropped on the 15, knowing full well that Colton Miller would still be on the board, barring another crazy reach by another team. So all of that worked out very well for the Miami Dolphins. We don't, we won't ever know 100% sure. None of us will, unless we somehow get Adam Gaze drunk one night in Miami and he spills all the secrets out, but I doubt that's ever going to happen. We'll, we'll never know. But to have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick on the board at 11, and on our show leading up to the draft in a few weeks, we talked extensively about Minka Fitzpatrick. And we said that he and Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield were the top three players on the board. And we said that Minka Fitzpatrick is probably going to be the Dolphins pick if he's there because we all anticipated all the quarterbacks being off the board by that time, which ended up happening. So when you look at how the first round shaked out, Minka Fitzpatrick is sitting right there. And not only Minka Fitzpatrick is sitting right there, but Derwin James is sitting right there. And Tremaine Edmonds is sitting right there. And Leighton Van Der Esch is sitting right there. And some people were even saying Vita Vea. And let's throw him in there sitting right there. All of these players and the Dolphins had their pick of the litter and they go for Minka Fitzpatrick safety out of Alabama. And the Yahoo Sports, Pete Thamel, spent a year with the Miami Dolphins. And if you read it, part nine, why scouts love visiting Nick Saban in Alabama, you will understand why the Dolphins fell in love with Minka Fitzpatrick. When one of their senior scouts visited Alabama this season, they were able to find everything that he was doing right. Okay, so if we pull up that article and we really look at what they're saying about him, and the scout's name, last name is Brockington, Ron Brockington. He was walking through the facility, and he noticed uh, on the morning of a game, he noticed Fitzpatrick watching film by himself in the defensive back's room. According to the article, it says, it was an unusual and inspiring scene on the morning of a game. The image of Fitzpatrick struck Brockington as the junior already put on a suit, donned headphones to cut out distractions, and appeared locked in seeking one final edge. Brockington took a picture on his iPhone and sent it to fellow National Scout Matt Winston and General Manager Chris Greer with the caption, Game Day Minka is here watching the video. Two clapping hand emojis followed. The article goes on to say, for the Dolphins, Scouts, and Brass catching Fitzpatrick in that impromptu moment of dedication reinforced what they'd seen on video, heard from the staff personnel and their background research. Brockington says, I dropped the mic. I could not believe that. Top professionalism. I can go on and on. So it's clear, not only because of Minka's playability, not only because of his ability to play all six positions in the secondary, not because of his ability to be that chess piece and move all around, and not because of his ability to cover tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, and everything else, but also because he fits perfectly, by all accounts, into the new Miami Dolphins culture that they're trying to build. I had Minka Fitzpatrick rated number eight overall. Number two at his position based on my consensus board. I did have Derwin James ranked a little higher than him. In terms of how much, if we look at the position rankings, I had Minka Fitzpatrick at an 8.5, Derwin James at an 8.53. So really it all came down to personal preference there for the Miami Dolphins. But how it's what did you love most about selecting Minka Fitzpatrick in the first round? And then and I want to get your kind of breakdown of Minka as well. Yeah, I was absolutely ecstatic. I mean, you, you're sitting there, the the Raiders are on the clock, and you got Josh Rosen and Minka Fitzpatrick. And part of me, as much as I wanted a quarterback, I was kind of hoping that something happened there because I think Minka Fitzpatrick all along was probably uh, best for the Dolphins in 2018. I think he's best for this franchise moving forward. We know we have two strong safeties, Rashad Jones, TJ McDonald, similar skill sets. But like you said, what Minka Fitzpatrick can do, he's, he's a natural free safety. He can – 
you know, play on the outside, play in the nickel. He can come down in the box. He can be moved around as this chess piece that the Dolphins have never had. I mean, the closest we've come to having a player of Minka Fitzpatrick's caliber is, uh, I think, a few years back when we could have Earl Thomas and we traded back for Jared Odrick. I mean, that kind of haunted us for a couple of years. And you touched on this guy. He's he's all about football. He goes out there. You said hours before the game, he's sitting there watching film. Uh, I know hundreds of people now have said on Twitter that he also he won a Thorpe Award for Best Defensive Back and Benerick Award for Best Overall Defender. And that's only been done by two other people, Charles Woodson and Patrick Peterson. So that's some hell of a company to be in. But I think Minka Fitzpatrick, I, I know you touched on Derwin James a little bit, but I think Fitzpatrick's better for what the Dolphins wanted to do. He's He's better in coverage than both of the safeties that we currently have. And bringing him in allows, you know, T.J. McDonald and Rashad Jones, Rashad Jones to kind of do what they do, freelance in the defense. Rashad Jones, he comes down the box. He's a heavy hitter. T.J. McDonald's similar, might play some linebacker. But Minka can be used to disguise coverage all over. And I, I think when all is said and done, I said it on Twitter, and I truly believe that if Minka Fitzpatrick, he keeps up that work ethic that he's kind of got from – Nick Saban, who some consider Minka Fitzpatrick his son, uh, if he can continue to have that work ethic and go out there and put as much time and effort into the NFL game as he did in college football, which I think he will, I think this is going to be one of the best draft picks that we've had. I mean, we're but we're all in our 30s. I think this is going to be one of the best draft picks we've ever seen the Dolphins have if, if he can live up to, to the expectations that I think he can. He, he's just the perfect player for this team. And we always say defense wins championships. You look at what Jacksonville did. They went out there and they almost made the Super Bowl with freaking Blake Bortles. You can't tell me Ryan Tannehill is not 100 times better than Blake Bortles. Uh, this defense, they go out there. Mika Fitzpatrick changes everything. And I think these Miami Dolphins are going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. And I think Mika Fitzpatrick is going to be one of the best players for many years to come. Pouts, by the way, I was curious. What was the shot that you took in your Minka baby? Twitter video. What was the shot after you uh, predicted Minka was going to be the pick? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't hard to predict, but uh, since I kind of look like Captain Morgan, it was I had some rum, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not really all for all that soda, so I just quick did a shot of Captain. So Sailor, that, look more like <laughs> Sa- Sailor Jerry or Lady yeah, Bly. I think you were gone. Hey, you were gone after that one. Oh, yeah, there were many shots and beer prior to that pick, so I was <laughs> I was ecstatic. I well, know. You're uh, talking to before, the you guy, get, before you get you're talking inside, yeah, I was just gonna say you were passed out on your sofa. <laughs> I was gonna say you're talking to the guy that fell asleep 15 minutes after the pick. Yeah, and I was actually out with uh, Jake Mendel at Buffalo Wild Wings. I think some other fans joined us as well out there. So we took a shot right before the Dolphins pick. We had some beers. I was buzzed after two sips of my beer and then totally drunk by the end of the first beer. So it was a great Shock. night for for Matthew Canada. Well, you were you were probably you were probably drunk just sniffing the alcohol before you even <laughs> drank it. So yes, that um, too. I'm sure Jake had to babysit you in a major oh, way. Yeah. But anyway, back oh, yeah. to Minka. I mean, as you guys have said, what he does is unlocks the strengths of other players too. So we're going to be able to use TJ and Rashad in better ways than we were able to last year, because Minka has a skill set that they don't, and that's the the center field piece. Uh, yes, he's a capable blitzer. He's a great tackler. He can play in the box as well, but he is much better in space and has better range than the other two safeties that we have right now. And I think he's going that ability alone, just the center fielder being able to uh, get to, to far sidelines, be able to challenge post routes uh, when he's covering a boundary. So, to have that kind of flexibility opens up a lot of doors for Matt Burke and what he's going to call on defense. So we're going to see hopefully a little bit more creativity and the nickel package will be able to hopefully stop opponents from getting a third and 27, like we seem to do every single game. So Minka's going to help in a lot of different ways, just in the different things that he can do. How it's mentioned that he can cover the slot. He can blitz, uh, and like I said, he can cover the middle of the field. So to be able to add that to the defense, we had mentioned, yes, Derwin James was a uh, very respected talent and had a, a a pretty even, I think, platform with, with Minka uh, across the board in terms of who was better. But I think Minka just fit better with what we needed 
And so I think that's the route that we, that we went. And obviously the Dolphins had make a higher in their plans as well. So to have this guy, this caliber play, you know, on, on a major stage play in major ball games to be a leader, have all those intangibles come into the locker room as well. You're starting to see this culture rebuild and to be able to infuse it with talent and to have value in the pick in terms of draft capital and, to have all those things kind of align, it's a really good feeling as a Dolphins fan. As, as weird as it is to see some of the ridiculous takes by some of the national media about what we lack direction and who's going to play quarterback and all that kind of stuff, you know what? Let them talk. Like, we always seem to do better with lower expectations anyway. So let's get that chip on our shoulder and have the us-against-the-world mentality, and maybe that'll take us somewhere. But um, I, I absolutely think we made the right pick. Minka Fitzpatrick played 13 snaps as a perimeter corner in 2017 at Alabama, the position that some say will hold the most value for him at the NFL level, but I think the Dolphins do plan to play him as safety. He made 38 solo tackles in 2017, 23 of which were defensive stops, as he operated largely from the slot and on the line of scrimmage. Last year, he had a PFF grade of 84.8, and he wasn't beaten for a reception longer than 31 yards in 2017. On 61 targets, he allowed an NFL passer rating of 83.5, but that same stat was just 37.8 the season before. So Minka Fitzpatrick is a tremendous pick. I, I love Derwin James. I love Minka just as much. Um, so for what the Dolphins got there at 11, absolute stud, absolute superstar. Can he be Jalen Rams- Ramsey? And that is the biggest question, and we will see how that plays out as we head into rookie mini camp, which starts next week as we head into training camp, and then, of course, preseason and the regular season. Pick number two, Dallas Goddard, tight end, is on the board for the Miami Dolphins. He's dropping. Everyone's getting excited. Everyone's saying Dallas Goddard, Dallas Goddard, Dallas Goddard, and the Dolphins get to the podium, and they picked Mike Jazicki from Penn State University. And Mike Jazicki is a tremendous athlete. He is a physical freak of nature. You watch his highlight reel. And how I'm going to throw this right to you because you posted several clips of him and you couldn't contain your excitement about what Jazicki was doing on the field. Yeah, I was beyond excited. Um, I think we touched on him a bit when we talked about tight ends. He was kind of someone that we looked towards the mid rounds. And well, there he went in the second round. I know there are rumors that uh, New Orleans might have taken him in the first that the Patriots are enamored by him and could have taken him there in the second, but the Dolphins ultimately got him in. Uh, I'm a Buckeyes fan, but I live in Penn State country, and I've heard about Jasicki for quite some time. I know he has McSorley as his quarterback, who I do not think is that good, but, I mean, what you see from Jasicki is just – he's the Jimmy Graham mold. I know everyone always touches on – it's almost like the Ryan Tannehill wide receiver thing that Jasicki was a former volleyball player, and he has those ups, and – I mean, he's just an athlete. We talked about his combine measurables. I mean, some of those things, 4.5, 440, 22 on the bench press, 41.5 vertical inch jump, 129 broad jump, three cone, 6.76 seconds. I mean, the guy just completely tore up the combine, and you see it on tape. You see this quick athlete who reminds us. I mean, he he is. He's a Jimmy Graham type. He can't block. He doesn't really fit into that blocking type, which is why the Dolphins went out there and got Durham Smythe. But at the end of the day, I mean, Jasicki is going to be Ryan Tannehill's best friend. You lose Jarvis Landry. You need that guy in the middle of the field, the kind of a uh, security blanket. And I think I think what we're going to see from Jasicki is everything that we've kind of wanted from a tight end over the past, I, I don't know, man. It's been 10 years. It, it seems like forever since the Dolphins had a legit tight end who can go out there and make plays. And, I mean, Jasicki, he's going to be able to create mismatches on the outside. He should be a huge red zone target. And I'm a huge fantasy football player. I, I enjoy it a lot, and I think I'm going to target the shit out of him this year. I don't know why it's homerism. It is what it is, but I think Mike Jasicki in Miami with Ryan Tannehill this year, that's going to be a tandem, and I'm often wrong. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong a hundred more times. But I think what he brings to this offense is everything that this team needs, and it's going to open things out on the outside, and I'm ecstatic for that pick. But you're right, Dallas Goder, we all were on that. I was sitting there – posting a video with my daughter, hoping that that was going to be the pick. I was getting ready to, to send that shit on the Twitter, and then it comes out to Mike Jasicki, and I thought about it, and I'm like, you know what? That makes complete sense. He's exactly what Adam Gase wants, and he's everything the Dolphins need. Yeah, but I think the, you covered pretty much everything. How it's, the one thing that you didn't mention was the red zone, and I think that's the one thing that he's going to help us the most because if you look across our wide receiver landscape right now, 
we have some shorter wide receivers with the exception of Devontae Parker. And we don't know how available Devontae is going to be and how many touchdowns he's going to be able to get. So to have someone like Mike Jasicki in the red zone for us is a huge component to how we're going to be able to score points this year, whether it be actually going to him or him being a, a decoy of some kind. So I think that's going to be a huge staple of the red zone offense is finding a way to get Mike Jasicki involved. But just overall big picture, I've done some research on the opening drives of 2017. And what I've found is we're not very good at getting the ball in the middle of the field in our opening drive. We have thrown interceptions and we cannot run the ball in the middle either. So running and passing, we're both poor in the middle of the field for whatever reason. And what we're going to see hopefully with Mike Jasicki is to be able to get down the seam and be able to create some plays down the field in the middle. And that's one of Ryan Tannehill's strengths, in my opinion, is throwing those intermediate passes over the middle. He's hopefully going to lock in with Mike Jasicki early. Uh, hopefully they're, they're outside right now running, running routes on the beach or whatever. Um, all romantic like under the moonlight. I hope uh, that they can create that chemistry to get the ball in the middle of the field because that's going to be able to help us get off to leads. And that's not something we've been able to do for the last several years is to start off games with leads and let our defense play with their ears pinned back. And hopefully we're able to get out to some leads this year and have our defense uh, be able to be a little bit more aggressive. And that's, again, where Minka is going to come in, hope – create some turnovers and and before you know it maybe we're up 10 to nothing in the first quarter and we don't know what to do with ourselves but <laughs> Mike Jasicki is really going to help in the middle of the field and help this offense be more di- diverse so Mike Jasicki for me was ranked number three at his position on my consensus board Dallas Goddard was number one with a grade of 8.39 Hayden Hurst who was picked by the Ravens and picked number 25 in the first round was graded out at 7.88 and Mike Jasicki was graded out at 7.87 so those two very close so when you look at what Adam Gase likes and the Yahoo article stated this perfectly clear and what was interesting about the Dolphins scouting department and I'm sure a lot of other scouting departments do this too but they would send throughout the season Mike Tannenbaum, Chris Greer, and Adam Gase one-liners about all the players that they were being uh, scouted. And that helped the coaching staff and the scouting department at the top keep tabs on every player that has come through the system thus far. And so Jaziki's one-liner was this. Good athlete that has good hands and body control can make plays down the middle of the field and in the red zone high-pointing the ball can be a mismatched guy, needs development as a blocker. So that's why his grade was a little lower than Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard can block. He's not a tremendous blocker, but he can block, and he can catch as well. Jaziki is your glorified slot receiver, one hell of a slot receiver that's a glorified in terms of size and everything else, but he is going to create mismatches all over the field. And when you really think about it, it's just a new way to tight ends an hour in the NFL. Jason Witten just retired just yesterday, and he was that blocking tight end who caught the occasional pass in the middle of the field when they found the soft spot in zone coverages. You look at other guys like Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski. You look at guys like Zach Ertz that just open up the entire field because of their tremendous playmaking ability. That is Mike Jazicki. He is not going to be the blocker, and, and the Dolphins are able to offset that with the selection of Durham Smythe, the tight end from Notre Dame. And Durham Smythe, his one-liner for the Miami Dolphins scouting department was this, is a good-sized wide tight end that has very good instincts as a blocker and as a route runner. Good to find the soft spot in zone coverage and is a chain mover that can make tough catches all over the field and will compete as a blocker and is a smart player. So people have compared him to Anthony Fasano. Listen, if Durham Smythe is Anthony Fasano, I will take that all day, especially as a late fourth-round pick. Jaziki is going to be a nightmare for opposing defenses. Some say that tight ends struggle in their first year. I say that's mainly for blocking tight ends in terms of being the complete package because there's so many different protections they have to pick up. If they tell Mike Jaziki to just go out there and catch the football, he's going to have no problem kicking it off the ground from week one. Now, this also brings me to my next point. We need to be careful not to overthink things next year as we head into the draft process. When, we, when the picks are made, we're like, oh, my God, that's absolutely right. Why didn't we see this the entire time? 
And yes, Minka was that pick for us, and we knew that going into the draft. But a guy like Mike Jasicki, that's right in front of our face. We know Adam Gates likes to pass the ball. We know he likes to create mismatches. Why were we all thinking Dallas Goddard? Just because that was the group speak that was being thrown around, that's because he was the name of the rumor mill. Nobody was linking Jasicki to Miami. And what's most interesting about Jasicki is the Patriots picking right after the Dolphins in that second round traded out. So there were rumors that they wanted Jazicki, but the Dolphins got him. Let's hope that he is a nightmare for opposing defenses for a year to come. Round three, Jerome Baker. Here's the Dolphins one-liner him before I jump into you, side. And I did not like this pick, but let's talk about it. Athletic linebacker that has good straight line speed and good cup, has good instincts, but is inconsistent to stack and shed in the box, has ability to match up in man coverage, and has explosiveness to blitz. That is the Miami Dolphins scouting department. One lighter on Baker. Sutton, what were your thoughts? Uh, just one more quick comment on Jasicki. How it's, uh, had mentioned his background in volleyball. You know, it's also an accomplished basketball player. So you always like those tight ends that have basketball skills that understand more nuanced body position, be able to get those jump balls. So it's really just going to come full effect in the red zone. But going to Jerome Baker, we had actually – he I had talked to him – Talked about him rather in our linebacker preview uh, on Finsider Radio before the draft, and he was one of the mid round guys that I was intrigued by. And okay, high state linebackers. I'm sorry, I know I'm a homer, but it's linebacker. It's the new linebacker. You would you not agree? Houts, we our linebackers that we turn out are pro ready, and Jerome Baker may be on the smaller side compared to some of his Ohio State predecessors, but he's going to be more of the will linebacker that we've been looking for anyway. And this is the type of linebacker I've been harping on all offseason is the guy with range and pass coverage skills. We don't necessarily need the blitzing outside linebacker type, strong outside linebacker. We are going to be playing a lot of nickel nickel position. So if, if you look at the snap counts from last year you're going to find that two linebackers are going to play the lions share of the snaps so jerome baker yes he's a third round draft pick but he's not going to come in and assume a huge amount of responsibility initially if someone is projecting that right now i would have to politely disagree with that but i think where he is going to come into effect is he's going to be quality depth at offensive linebacker and he's going to be able to uh, help this nickel coverage tremendously because that's where his skill set is, is his range. And that's something that we've been lacking. It's going to help get Kiko off the field uh, so we can hopefully have Kiko more in a two-down role. So like I had mentioned uh, last year, two linebackers got the lion's share of the snaps. Hopefully that's a different trend in 2018. Hopefully we're seeing uh, Raekwon McMillan uh, get the lion's share of the snaps, but then you're seeing, you know, Kiko sprinkled in, Jerome Baker sprinkled in. Hopefully, Stefan Anthony can t- can step up and get some more snaps there. So hopefully, we have a more versatile linebacker group than we have in years past. And because of the versatility, so maybe it's not one individual player that's really standing out in that unit, but the way that they play together because they have complementary skill sets. I think that's the recipe for success with this linebacker group, and Jerome Baker is going to add to that. Yeah, so and you touched on it, Ohio State. They seem to be breeding linebackers down there, and, and I mean, it, I wasn't the biggest fan like Kanata said. I mean, we're all just fans of the game. We kind of study prospects here and there. I Maybe there were some players that I would have rather have had in the third round, but then when you go and watch the tape, I mean – you touched on, you say he's a bit undersized. I mean, when you look at it, he's almost the exact same size as Roquan Smith, who we all loved. I mean, I think he's six or seven pounds lighter. So that's what a all-you-can-eat buffet night at Chinese restaurant. I mean, the, the guy, he's rangy, like you said, instinctive. His coverage skills are something that this defense currently does not have. And ironically enough, his best season came in 2016 alongside of, you guessed it, Raquan McMillan. The Dolphins are getting back next season. So, I mean – Sure, we can sit here as fans and say, okay, I would rather have this player, maybe this guy. But the Dolphins, they do this for a living. Those scouts go out there, as you saw in that Yahoo Sports article. This is their living. And they saw Jerome Baker. You see a fast linebacker who can pretty much do it all. I mean, you can see him blitzing on tape. You can see him dropping back in coverage. He seems to be instinctive in the run in the pass game. 
He's going to do things that neither of these guys – I mean, I love Raquan McMillan, but I think Jerome Baker could be a better coverage linebacker. I think he's going to take some of those snaps away from some of those other guys. I know you touched on it a bit. Dolphins playing a lot of two linebacker sets. It's going to be interesting to see how TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones play into that middle of the field. But, I mean, Jerome Baker, he might not come in and, you know, light the world on fire, but he's going to have his role this season, and I think he's going to be a starter, like you said, at will. And just I'm excited to see him next to Raquan McMillan. I think maybe the Dolphins, as much as it pains me to say it, I think Kiko's best season was there in the middle. So I think they got to kind of try to figure out what to do with Raquan, maybe move him out the strong side, um, maybe switch him and Jerome Baker occasionally. But at the end of the day, I mean, we went into this draft linebacker, tight end. Those were two of our biggest needs. And, I mean, whether or not you like the Jerome Baker pick, what he does is everything that we kind of had hoped would have been the pick if we would have taken a Roquan Smith or a Tremaine Edmonds or a Leighton Van Der Esch if some people out there wanted him, Rashawn Evans. I mean, Jerome Baker's a hell of an athlete. He's a hell of a football player. And I think in Matt Burke's defense, he's going to be a hell of a talent. And the Dolphins' defense definitely got better in this season's draft. When that pick was made for Jerome Baker, I, w- I was not happy. And Fred Warner went a few picks before Jerome Baker there. But I had a 5.91 grade on Jerome Baker. I had him ranked number 188 overall when he was picked at number 73. I had him ranked 17th at his position. When he was drafted, I had about 7 to 10 guys who were ranked ahead of him. When you look at the package, though, even Malik Jefferson went a few spots after him. And then you had Oren Burks go a few spots after him. You know, all guys that I had rated higher than him, Dorian O'Daniel from Clemson. But then you look at their one-liner, and you look at possibly what they want to do with Jerome Baker, and then you say, okay, this makes sense too. Because like you both said, he can cover the tight ends. He can cover the running backs. He can even cover a slot receiver, according to the NFL Network, who has watched plenty of film on him and have done plenty of reports. And Ohio State, that is a football factory. He's reunited with his former teammate, Ray Quantum Millen in Miami. And you said his son, he's not going to be a huge contributor day one. He is going to lean in, develop. He's going to be in certain situations on the field, obvious passing situations for sure. Third down, third and longs, second and longs. That's going to be his niche. And he's he's fast as all hell. He's going to be a great special teams player. And so, again, when you look at what the Dolphins are trying to do and you look at really their weaknesses, again, Let's not be so blind to next year. And I'm, I'm not just talking about us there. I'm talking about everybody as a whole. And so really what the Dolphins might be targeting. Let's take a few minutes to look at what their weaknesses were. Look at what they may want to do better. Read their press conferences. Because while most of the stuff that coaches say are not true, sometimes they leave hints in there for us to pick up. And that's absolutely what happened if you go back and read transcripts from the previous year. Going into the fourth round pick, who we talked about, but they had two fourth round picks. Durham Smythe, number 123 overall. And then again, at the end of the fourth round, Kalen Ballage from running back Arizona State. We touched on Smythe already in terms of talking about him and Mike Jaziki together, and he will be the uh, yin and the yang to Jaziki. They'll be that together. But Kalen Ballage is another guy that really intrigues me. Okay, so Kalen Ballage. When he was picked, I had him ranked number 157 overall, picked at number 131, so that's pretty good there. Position ranked number 14 from Arizona State. The Dolphins' one ladder on Ballage was this. is a big, linear athlete that has good size and is a very good athlete. Can be a mismatch as a route runner in the pass game and good straight line speed and vision. Is a good kid and is very smart. Needs to develop more consistency as a player. Now, Ballage at one point tied the FBS record for eight touchdowns in a single game, running, receiving, and actually as a direct snap. After that game, he did not take credit for any of it. He gave credit to his offensive linemen. He gave credit to his coaches. He gave credit to God, and he gave credit to all those around him who helped him achieve this. The anti-Jayajai, and I tweeted this out too, is when Jayajai, when he scored a touchdown or didn't even get enough touches, he would complain, he would mope, he would sulk. And that's what led the Dolphins to trading him to the Philadelphia Eagles. But Kalen Ballage is a good guy out of the backfield who can catch the ball. He's going to be, you know, kind of that power back where he can run people over a little bit. And he's going to be that nice compliment to Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. Again, not a guy who's going to come out day one and contribute in terms of the total offense, but a guy who I think if push came to shove, Sutton and Houts, he can get the job done. Son, we'll start with you on him. 
Well, when we're reflecting on some of the articles that were in that Yahoo series, one of the key core attributes that this Dolphins team's looking for is work ethic. And I think this is one of the guys that really embody that. And not to mention, getting a running back in the fourth round is just, that seems to be the the wheelhouse of picking up and getting good value in running backs in the NFL draft. So I think we kind of double dip there in some sense. He's going to be able to to learn behind uh, Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. I mean, what a great person to learn from Frank Gore, how to just take care of your body and and approach the, the mental side of the game. So to see those things unfold for him, I think Kalen's got to be feeling pretty good about his situation. He's going to be good depth. Like you said, he's not going to be expected to come in and, and do a whole lot, but I think he could very easily serve as a Damian Williams type of role. He could come in and like, like the one liner said, can create some mismatches on the outside and, I was pleasantly surprised once Kenyon Drake came into the fold last year after we shipped a a Jai to the Eagles, you saw a little bit more of the running backs getting split out wide and creating mismatches on the linebackers. I feel like I haven't seen those types of wrinkles in the Dolphins offense as much as I'd like to see. So to have a guy like Kalen be able to come in and create some more mismatches for us, uh, maybe on third down, but maybe in obvious passing situations or uh, maybe we're able to weave him into some sub packages. Uh, but it, it, at any rate, he was a playmaker for that team and by all accounts, a great football character guy. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that pick. I mean, he's a guy that, like you both said, he's going to be the perfect complement to Kenyon Drake. I'm not sure what his role will be as a rookie. We know how Adam Gase is with his rookies, specifically at running back. I mean, this guy, he might see – you might see some uh, work on returns, pun returns, kick returns, things like that. But, I mean, when you put on the tape uh, the Wildcat, I mean, the last time this team won the AFC East, the Wildcat offense was a thing. So, I mean, to see him on tape score eight touchdowns, it was a thing of beauty. I know he ran a four four six, And whether or not it's this season or next, I mean, I think Kalen Balazs, he's going to be the perfect complement to Kenyon Drake. And I'm excited to see what he can do in Adam Gase's offense moving forward. All right, so we'll see how that shakes out. But moving on to the rest of the draft, Dolphins did not have a fifth-round pick. They traded that one for Robert Quinn to the Los Angeles Rams. Then they move into the sixth round, and they pick up Cornell Armstrong, defensive back from Southern Miss. And then they moved in to the seventh round and picked up Quentin Poling, linebacker from Ohio, and then Jason Sanders, kicker from New Mexico. Let's touch on those three as a group, boys. Cornell Armstrong, a guy there that's the Dolphins' one-liner, according to this, is a perimeter corner that has good short area quickness, better in press coverage than off coverage, needs to be more consistent with his awareness in zone from off coverage, good ball skills when he is in position, but needs to be more consistent as a tackler, needs to develop a role for himself on special teams, is smart and tough. Quentin Poling, athletic linebacker that has outstanding instincts, but just average size to take on and shed blocks, inconsistent at times coming to balance and tackling in space, but will be an outstanding special teams player is smart and tough. And most importantly, loves football kicker. Jason Sanders, very strong lane with good range from 50 plus exceptional deep kickoff player with high touchback percentage, limited opportunities on field goals. So for me, you know, you look at polling and Armstrong and those guys need to make their way on special teams. It's not going to be anything crazy with them. They're not going to be probably not starting day one unless they have a tremendous camp and surprise the hell out of everybody. They're going to have to fight to make the team. I think for me, the most interesting pick here is the seventh round pick of Jason Sanders, the kicker from New Mexico, just because out of those three players, he's going to have the biggest impact out of all of them from day one. Obviously, he's going to have to battle in training camp against other guys that Dolphins bring in. But Jason Sanders right now, he's the draft pick. He has the edge. Dolphins are going to give him every opportunity to win the job. He has a tremendous powerful leg. I've watched film on him since he was the pick and he boots field goals. Like it's nobody's business. He had a, around the 70% um, accuracy rate his, his past season in college, but apparently D- Darren Rizzi loves this guy personally worked him out. And so, you know, for me, that's the most interesting pick there. Quentin and Cornell, 
we'll see how you guys shake out, but you're really going to need to make your way on special teams. And I don't think it's worth getting too excited about either of them yet until we start seeing them in live action and in pads against other guys in the NFL. How about you? Yeah, I mean, when that Cornell pick came through, I think we all kind of at least had hoped this team was going to draft a quarterback, someone who they could develop and maybe eventually become something. Uh, didn't quite happen. Definitely think that he's a stick on special teams. Excited to see what he can do in the secondary, but I think that's a crowded room. Uh, Quentin Pauling, I mean, that's a guy who, again, needs to come out there and impress on special teams. Uh, seems to be a decent coverage linebacker, a guy who can st- stuff the run. Good blitzer, but again, he's the guy who, if he wants to make that 53-man roster, he needs to go out there and perform on special teams. And then the kicker, Sanders. I mean, he's a guy who it appeared that there were – I I mean, I, I'm going to be the first to admit I don't watch kicker film, but it looked like the guy from Florida, Panero or whatever the hell his name was, was the guy that everyone kept saying is the best kicker in the country. And then when Sanders got taken, I mean, it was one of those picks that I just kind of, you know, whatever. I still think Cody Parkey should have been resigned. I think I know he made a hell of a lot of money from the Chicago Bears. Good for him. But what he did last season for the Dolphins, I mean, kickers. It's a freaking kicker. So it's going to be a huge, uh, huge fills, shoes to fill for a guy like uh, Sanders or one of those undrafted guys that come in and become competition. But we need a kicker. We need some guy that can hit a you, – you touched on a 71.5% field goal percentage I think he made 25 out of 35 field goals last year. Uh, he's got to continue to improve and, and do better. But if that's a guy Rizzy likes, uh, I'm all on board. I mean, we're going to be scoring nothing but touchdowns, so I don't know why we even need to focus on a kicker anyway. But it does seem like when we do select a kicker, we like to pick some obscure people. I don't know that Sanders was on anybody's radar, to be honest with you. And just looking back at Andrew Franks drafting him out of RPI and then drafting Sanders out of New Mexico, who I I believe was like, I don't know, 15 out of 20 or 10 out of 15 or something like that on his field goals. I can't remember. Uh, But it wasn't that great. But, hey, you have to trust their evaluation of a kicking prospect. I don't know crap about that. So hopefully he's able to at least come in, win the starting gig, and – kick nothing but touchbacks, and then hopefully we never have to have him kick a field goal because we're running up and down the field. But the other two guys, you'd already mentioned, it's all all about special teams with those guys, and hopefully they're able to come in and and provide enough competition to some of the guys ahead of them in the depth chart that they can uh, learn some things in the meeting room and just get acclimated to the pro game. As a OU Bobcat alum, it was really nice to see Quentin Poling drafted by us, and I do think that he has uh, – it does seem like the front office was targeting linebackers that have some pass coverage skills and some movement skills, and both the linebackers that we drafted this year fit that bill. Uh, Jerome is a little bit more athletic than Quentin, so you, you, you'd like to see Quentin make his mark on special teams like you guys said. Uh, but it does seem like Darren Rizzi had his thumbprints on the last couple rounds here. Uh, getting some quality contributors to the special teams unit. So for me, I had the Dolphins ranked 23rd overall in the NFL draft in terms of their picks, the average picks and everything else that all went into my grades there. But I also said this, I knew what the Dolphins vision was after the draft was done. Forget round six and forget round seven, forget Cornell Armstrong, forget Quentin Pauling, forget, Sanders, who is a good pick and a needed pick. If you take them one round one through round four, I know exactly what they're doing with Minka. I know exactly what they're going to do with Jaziki. I know exactly what they're going to do with Jerome Baker. I know exactly what they're going to do with Durham Smythe. I know exactly what they're going to do with Kalen Ballage. And then you look at, okay, polling Armstrong, you're reaching the bottom of the barrel there anyways in the sixth, seventh round. And then you pick your kicker who's going to contribute hopefully on day one. So you look at really rounds one through four and those picks there. And you're like, okay, I, I know what the Dolphins are doing. I can see their vision. I know exactly what's going on. So take away that 23rd grade, right? Because that's just on paper. That means absolutely nothing until they start playing games. Or that means nothing once they start playing the games, I should say. 
So as long as the Dolphins have a vision of what they're trying to accomplish, and I believe they did accomplish that vision, then I think there's really nothing else that you could say. The one thing I will say is they probably wanted Fred Warner there where they took Jerome Baker, but he was selected a few spots before by the 49ers. But Minka was their, one of their top targets, if not their top target. Jaziki clearly their top target. Maybe Hayden Hurst, but probably Jaziki more so. Jerome Baker, we're not sure about. Durham Smythe, obviously the opposite of Jaziki, has to compliment him. That was probably a, a priority target. And then Kalen Ballage there, who by all accounts from the Yahoo article, was a priority target for the Dolphins. So you look at those guys and you're like, all right, we get it. We get it, right? And, you know, kudos to the Dolphins. I thought they had a tremendous draft there. I thought they were very patient. They were very um, smart and not trying to trade up all over the place for different guys. And it's Adam Gase and Chris Greer running the show. Tannenbaum is in the background uh, managing the cap, overseeing football operations. But when it comes to player acquisition and all that kind of stuff, it is clearly Chris Greer and Adam Gase. Any last thoughts on the draft before we wrap up the show with undrafted free agents, uh, House? Yeah, man. 23rd, I, I know that's going off the paper, but that seems crazy. I mean, the Dolphins draft that you touched on, those first four picks were absolutely insane. Minka Fitzpatrick, top five, if not top ten player. And then you got a guy like Chiseki going to come in and fill an immediate role. Jerome Baker, like you said, Fred Warner is probably the pick there, but he's going to come in and have an impact. Uh, Balaj, I mean, this is one of the better drafts on paper that I've seen from the Dolphins. I mean, these last three between Chris Greer and Adam Gase, I mean, a lot of people are down on the Dolphins. A lot of the national media wants to continue to shit on them, but what they've been doing these last few drafts have been pretty damn awesome, and I'm excited to see the way they play out. Uh, I was happy with the Dolphins draft, and I'm looking forward to the 2018 season. Matthew, I know you're trying to keep us humble and and, you know, maybe we missed some signs along the way. But one thing that we did predict and we're pretty adamant about was that the Dolphins needed to address tight end in the second round. We may have uh, missed on the specific player that they were looking at, but we knew that if you didn't get a tight end in the second round and you're getting into the third and fourth rounds, you weren't getting the same caliber of player, and that affected the – offensive kind of big picture so to be able to get a tight end like Jasicki and and have us kind of channel in on needing that position in that particular round gotta give us props for that right absolutely and I think we also need to give ourselves prop for nailing their plan because we said leading up to the draft here was the Dolphins plan linebacker or safety in round one tight end in round two quarterbacker running back in round three which ended up going linebacker because they didn't get their linebacker in round, round one and round four, they were going uh, best player available and looking at defensive tackle, which they didn't get. But in terms of linebacker, safety in round one, you look at those two, you encompass that with the tight end and then the running back. So we had linebacker safety, running back, tight end in the first four selections. And sure enough, their first four selections, running back, uh, I'm sorry, safety, tight end, linebacker, tight end, running back. So it was all there right in front of us. We had the information leading up to the draft. If you listen to Finsider Radio, you would have known their plan. Then to see it play out the same way we uh, called it was pretty cool to see. Defensive tackle, we just mentioned. Akeem Spence traded from the Lions for a 2019 pick, which is actually one of the picks the Dolphins had in the Jarvis Landry trade there. And he is going to, um, I think, be a nice little addition to the line in that rotation there. I don't know too much about him yet, but he did play along in Dominican Sioux. And more importantly, the defensive line coach that is now with the Miami Dolphins, he played with him back in Detroit. By all accounts, a good player who has plenty of upside. And the Detroit Lions actually just extended his contract. Now they won't need to pay that money. And then the Dolphins also signing Bryce Petty. Camp arm, let's not get too crazy about it. Fourth quarterback on the roster. I don't think there's anything there to see. Before we just get your final thoughts, Houts and Sutton, let's go over the undrafted free agents. Notre Dame College defensive lineman Claudie Matthew, Utah State cornerback Jalen Davis, TCU long snapper Lucas Gravel, North Carolina linebacker Kaysen Collins, William & Mary offensive lineman Connor Hilland, Michigan linebacker Mike McCray, Miami defensive tackle Anthony Moten, UCF defensive tackle Jamius Pittman, Fairmont wide receiver Quincy Redman, Purdue offensive lineman David Steinmetz, Florida Atlantic running back Buddy Howell, 
an FAU kicker, the FAU, Greg Joseph. We'll see how many of those make the roster. They'll all have to compete. We'll be lucky if two or three of them become uh, 53-man roster players for the Miami Dolphins. All right, Son and Houts, any last words? And then we'll hit up the questions that have come to us on Twitter. Yeah, just to throw this out there real quick, just a teaser for next week's episode of the draft picks that we've been talking about extensively tonight. Guess what? We're going to have one of them on the show next week. Yes, we are. No names yet because we don't want to jinx ourselves, but we are working hard on it, and we're hoping that that is going to become a reality. All right, Houts, any last words? Uh, Bryce Petty nearly died, and now he's a Miami Dolphin. <laughs> we almost yeah. witnessed his death together. Yeah, we all almost. Yeah. Three of us were there we were, when it was almost. We were all memory. there. And the truth is, he's probably we not better than David Fails. So I don't know how. That... Yeah, let's not get let's not get carried away with Bryce Petty here. He's not he's not the next Dan Marino, and he's not going to be anything anyone's going to get excited about. All right, but what do we have for questions, Sutton and Houts? Okay, so. Well, we, we had a question from Rob about the undrafted free agent that we thought was most likely to stick on the roster. Do you guys have any predictions? Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I think the kicker, because who knows kicker what's going to happen with the kickers. I think the kicker, I Greg Joseph like the, uh, from the FAU. I would say maybe... Um, David Steinmetz, the tackle from Purdue, just because with Asiata, we don't know what's going to happen with him. I, I don't know. It's hard to say with undrafted free agents. It's not like I'm sitting here watching film on all of them. Yeah, and it also seems like it's always a random undrafted free agent. It's There's always kind of a cult favorite going into training camp, and it's the opposite of that person that makes the, the roster for whatever reason, like when Neville Hewitt made it a couple of years ago, we were like, he may have been like the fifth or sixth choice out of the, of the group that we had. So when you look at this cohort, it's kind of hard to see who's going to make the roster, but maybe Jameis or Jamias Pittman. That's, that seems to be one of the favorites at this point in terms of stuff I've seen from CK. And then you got Michael McRae, uh, maybe at, at middle linebacker for Michigan, just because uh, he's another maybe two two down run stuffer that could replace Kiko if he gets hurt or something like that. You know, it, it's kind of hard to tell how it's going to play out over time, especially yeah, think, with undrafted free agents for sure. I think you just nailed the two guys I was getting ready to say. Buddy Howe, the running back from Florida Atlantic, might be another name. Kaysen. Collins, the linebacker from North Carolina, but at the end of the day, I mean, none of us know. It all depends on how these guys go out there and perform with shorts on. So it'll be interesting to see. But Jameis Pittman and uh, Mike McCray, those seem to be the two big names that continue to. to okay, and we have that. we have one we have one question from the Finsider Radio mailbag, and you had touched on it a little bit, MC Money, but it's about the Dolphins and staying put in some of the earlier rounds and not taking advantage of the fact that maybe they were able to trade down. He's, and this is uh, SD from the Fensider.com SD 19, let's see, SD 1943. And basically what he's asking is why are we not as adept as the Patriots at moving down in the draft, accumulating more draft picks, getting more, darts at the dartboard and being able to hit on some guys. So in other words, having 10, 11 draft picks instead of seven or eight and just having more opportunities uh, to strike gold. So why are we not taking advantage of that? Do you guys have any theories? Mine's simple. I mean, Patriots, they're continuously picking at the what bottom five of the draft. And I mean, I think I'd argue that the Dolphins struck gold with Minka Fitzpatrick. So, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, that range of you got elite talent in those top 10, 15 picks. Now when you see all these quarter, the run on quarterbacks, so you see these top maybe five or 10 players fall there to those mid teens. And then after that, it's just this flood of players who, you know, they're all very good players, but very similar in talent level. So, I mean, you see new England, they just continue to move down. I think they're loading up for something huge next year. I mean, we always touch on the quarterbacks. I think 
Tom Brady's successor is going to be drafted next season. So, I mean, I'm not upset that the team didn't trade back this year. I think Minka Fitzpatrick was the perfect pick, and I think that's what it all comes down to, though. You see New England picking bottom five. You see Miami picking top 15. The difference in talent's huge, and Miami really can't afford a trade back, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part, How it's I, I, I guess, generally speaking, I am a trade-down kind of guy, but like you said, it's we're talking about people trading down from – in the late 20s and early 30s, I mean, we're, we're not talking about moving down from 11, you know, to 17 or 18 or whatever uh, the expected trade was. So there's risk in moving down, too, and, and how many players you're going to skim over. And when you looked at the players on the board and at the offers that they may or may not have had, and the Dolphins stayed put and pulled the trigger, I think you have to respect that because at the same time, trading down is, you know, as many darts that you have is, is you're more likely to hit the bullseye. But at the same time, draft order, from the research I've seen, draft order is the only thing that dictates uh, how good a player is going to be. It's the only factor that we have that kind of correlates with pick success and we all know how volatile it is at each respective draft spot so that's a long-winded way of saying that the draft is a lot of luck in terms of who you're able to hit on and uh, if you're able to trade down and get good value for it in hindsight yeah that's great but in this particular draft for this particular team at this particular time it was better to stay and pick Minka and Mike Jasicki, and Jerome Baker, and Kalen Ballage, and see how this all plays out. 125%. I absolutely agree with all of you and everything that you said. Again, tremendous draft for the Dolphins in terms of looking at them and their vision and understanding what exactly they were trying to do, mission accomplished for sure. Going back to that Yahoo article, if you have not read it, Google it, type in Yahoo, Miami Dolphins, scouting department, read a nine-part series. It's not long at all. It will, it will take you 30, 45 minutes to read. Tremendous, tremendous insight into the Dolphin Scouting Department. We can spend an entire show on it, but we're coming up on the end here. So please do read it when you get a chance. All right. Anything else, boys? Go Dolphins. All right. That's going to do it for us this week on Finside Radio. We thank you for listening. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. I am at Kanata NFL, C-A-N-N-A-T-A-N-F-L. Sutton is at Sutton Laces Out, and Houts is at Houts, H-O-U-T-Z. Follow us for great insight throughout the week, each and every day. For Houts MD and Sutton the Creeper Soccer Dad, I am MC Money. Thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Karis Fisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.